We listen to three readings this morning. Uh, the first reading, um, we heard how Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he sweat drops of blood. He was in anguish over what he was about to go through and also the fact that he was carrying our sins, the weight of the world on his shoulders. In the second reading, we heard how Jesus carried his cross and then um, he was crucified. And um, even while he was crucified, he was able to arrange for his mother to be cared for by the Apostle John. In the third reading, he completed his task and he said, it is finished. Three great readings. Why would God go to all that effort for us? And, um, well, we all know it's because he loves us. It's because of his great love for you and his great love for all people. His great love for the world. John 3.16 says that. In Psalm 8 verse 4 it says, What is man, you know, which means humanity, mankind, means all people. What are people that God considers them? Well, that's a great question, but one thing's for sure, he does consider them. He went to the cross for them. Why is a great mystery, but he loves us. He went through all that pain and agony, plus it was planned well in advance. A lot of thought put into it. The heart of God is so big. But this morning I thought we would contemplate for a few minutes not only how much God loves us, but how much God hates sin. Because not only was he showing us his love, he was also getting rid of something that he hates. <laughs> he hates sin a great deal. And in Hebrews 1, verses 8 to 9, it says about the Son, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom, for you loved righteousness and you hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. That's a quote from Psalms 45. But Jesus loved what was right hated, hated what was wrong. He hated sin. And going to the cross, it was about our redemption, but it was also about <laughs> demolishing something that he hated. He hated sin. Now, why would God hate sin so much? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What is it about sin that's so loathsome to God so odious, so gets up his nose, what is it about sin? Well, God hates sin, I think, because he's holy. As I was thinking about this, I thought there are a lot of reasons why God hates sin, lots of them. There's a couple of big ones. One is that God is so holy, and sin is almost like the exact opposite of who God is. If you could imagine an opposite to God, it's, it's, sin would have to be somehow that. If you could personify sin, it would be the exact opposite of what God is. I've looked up some Bible descriptions of sin, and I'm going to give you a few references here. But the Bible describes sin in all sorts of different ways. 
In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 6, it describes sin as a putrefying sore. I've never had a putrefying sore, but it doesn't sound good. In Psalm 38, verse 4, sin is described as a heavy burden. In Titus 1, verse 15, sin is described as defiling filth. That's not good either. In Matthew 6, verse 12 to 15, that's from the Lord's Prayer, it's described as a binding debt. In Isaiah 1.18, sin is a scarlet stain. Just in those five scriptures, we've got a sore, a burden, filth, debt, and a stain. I think it's bigger than all of these things. It's something, you can see why God hates it. Some of these aspects of trying to describe what it is. And there's other references in scripture that describe how terrible it is. Sin is, oh, and when we were going through the Old Testament videos this year, leprosy was a picture of sin. You know, the, the, the Old Testament laws for dealing with leprosy was a picture of, of our sin which causes us to be cast out of the camp. If you had leprosy, you were cast out. Leprosy was a picture of sin. And you know, Naaman had leprosy and the Lord cured him. That was a miracle. That was a picture of our miraculous curing of sin. That we get, Naaman had to go into the Jordan River and be baptised effectively. And when we go into the baptism, when we get baptised into Christ, we're effectively cured of our leprosy. That story in Naaman was a great picture of that. There's so many pictures of sin and how nasty it is. This is what I wrote. Sin is a filthy, burdensome, putrefying, debt-laden, stench-filled, rotten, maggot-infested, soul-bankrupting, life-destroying, soul-smearing, conscience-hardening, relationship-breaking cancer. Sin is a quicksand of the soul from which you cannot get out and you sink deeper and deeper the more you try to escape. Sin is a disease. It's worse than Ebola. It kills you slowly while all along it doesn't only affect you, it affects everyone around you as well. Sin's just nasty. And I think we can see why God hates it so much because it's just bad. Um, when we were going through the Bible videos, uh, we're still going through them, of course. When we got to the story of King David and his terrible sin, um, something just, re I realised something I'd never kind of seen before. And uh, David commits his terrible sin. Again, you know, it's against Bathsheba, but the, the biggest sin is really the killing of Uriah and the killing of those 11 men that went along with it. It was a murder. Murder was the biggest sin but that was to cover up the other sin. It was, the whole thing was terrible. And Nathan the prophet came to him with the word of the Lord and said a few things. One was that what he had done would be repaid back to him four times. David took the life of this one man, Uriah. David ended up losing the life of four of his sons in the process. If you read the Bible story, four of his sons died because of his action. And then ten of his, you know, back then they had multiple wives. He had these ten concubines that were treated indecently on the roof of his palace. 
What he, what he did to Bathsheba indecently was repaid back to him ten times indecently. The whole thing came back on his head so much more than what he did. And I remembered reading an article by someone that said that that was so unfair on those women that were treated that way, that they didn't deserve to be treated like that. And this particular article was complaining about, you know, why would God allow something like that to happen? Well, see, that's the reason why God hates sin so much, is because when you sin, it's unfair. God didn't, God didn't do that to those women. God didn't do that to those four boys of David's. When you sin, it just is unfair because it affects you and it affects everyone around you so much more. That's what sin is. Sin is so evil and horrible that you can participate in something that you think is a not a big deal. It doesn't affect anyone. It only affects me, but it doesn't. That's the nature of sin. Sin reaches out. It not only grips you, but it reaches out and it hurts everyone around you. Think of the very first sin. Adam does something we would have thought quite innocent, just took a bite of a piece of fruit. You would think that wouldn't affect anyone except just him, right? Hasn't that messed everything up for all of us? Now, is that unfair? It seems unfair. Well, that's the nature of sin. Sin's unfair. Sin isn't only just ruining your life. Sin ruins the life of everyone around you. It's unfair, and God hates it. And, um, of course, we can't blame Adam and Eve because we are not only victims of this sin, we're guilty of it too. We're perpetrators of the sin. You can't point the finger at Adam and say, I wish, you know, if you hadn't done that, you yourself are a sinner. If the world was a perfect place and you were the one to commit the first sin, you would, you would throw the world into an equally crazy place, just as Adam did, because such is the nature of sin. It's unfair. It's not only evil and terrible like I've described, it's, it's unfairly evil and terrible. And it's also deceptive, we find out in the book of Jeremiah, because you can be so riddled with sin and not even know it. So when Jesus went to the cross, he was dealing with something so bad. On one hand, he had his love for us. On the other hand, he knew there's this nasty thing and I've got to sort it out. So he had big, there were big things at stake that day, all those thousands of years ago when the Lord went to carry the weight of the world on his shoulders. He was up to something monumental and important and big and I'm grateful for it. I'm very, very grateful for the love of Christ and his victory at the cross. He was a victor. came and he conquered sin. And you know, I've, all, I've also thought that the mercy of God is unfair. It's unfair because we don't deserve it. What we deserve is to be punished. What we deserve is justice that locks us up and throws away the key. But that's also something interesting about what Christ did. Because of what Christ did, we receive something good which we unfairly shouldn't receive. 
but by faith through grace, we do receive it. And that's, that's wonderful. And so as evil as sin is, righteousness, which is the opposite, is so wonderful. We don't even know how wonderful righteousness is, but it's wonderful. If you could compare two more opposite things, I don't think you could get I don't think you could get two more opposite things to compare than righteousness and wickedness. They're just completely different, and we really don't have the full sense of it. But the Lord did, and that's why it says in Hebrews that he loved righteousness and he hated wickedness. Well, we want to be, we want to be in with Christ and loving what's right. We want to avoid sin and hate what is wrong, like Jesus did. And so my, my good communion, my uh, Good Friday message, which we're going to lead to communion in just a second, is about these two things. It's about how wonderful righteousness is and what the Lord has done for us, and it's about how terrible sin and wickedness are and why the Lord... Lo- You can see why the Lord wanted to deliver us from these things. You and I, we are victims of sin and we're perpetrators of sin. But Christ never did anything wrong. He was a victim of sin only. When he lived in this world, when he was born as a little boy, he was instantly a victim of sin, but never a perpetrator. And when he went to the cross, he was a pure victim of sin. They said, crucify him. The one and only person that didn't deserve to be a victim became the complete victim on our behalf. Somehow the unfair thing at work has resulted in such good coming to us. Adam's act unfairly trapped us in sin and Christ's act unfairly offers a release to us if we're willing to take it. And we do. Everyone that has the right mind about them accepts Christ's offer. And those who haven't accepted it haven't been able to see it for what it is. So we pray for those people. In Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28, It says this, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when they had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness, uh, poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. The act of Christ was for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Aren't you glad there's a cure to that terrible disease that we described earlier? I am certainly glad. And that's the reason why Jesus said, it is finished. (laughs) Because he had done the thing he needed to do. Sin is still in the world, But there's a process at work now that will result in it being completely removed 
And Christ, when you put your faith and trust in him, his Holy Spirit comes into you, something changes. And you don't love that sin like you used to. And there's a process at work to give you victory over it, to bring you through. My encouragement to you this morning is this. Given that how terrible sin is and how great the Saviour's love is for you, we should do a few things. Number one, we should cultivate righteousness. We should make it our goal to strive, to please the Lord, to be righteous, to live for him. We should also make it our goal to hate sin, to put it aside however you can, to turn your back on it, to treat it with the attitude that Jesus treated it, to see it as loathsome. And if you need help with that, you need to pray for that. Pray that you will love righteousness and hate wickedness just as Christ did. And then work to snatch others from sin. Work with your life to snatch others from the fires of hell. Because you see how evil sin is and its work. You see the love that Christ had for others. So you adopt his love for others too. And you live and pray so that others might be free as you are free as well. This is our calling as Christians. I'm going to invite the musicians to return. And um, I don't know if we have any helpers, but if you could come and distribute the communion elements this morning. We're going to partake of the bread and the cup this morning in an act of remembering what the Lord has done for us and in an act of gratitude because we appreciate, we appreciate what he has done. And um, if we had our eyes opened to see how terrible sin was, and if we had our eyes opened to see how great his love was for us, we would be forever changed. One of the things that I've heard people say over the years is, how could a loving God create a place as bad as hell? Well, people don't realise how evil sin is. If they saw how evil and how pernicious and how horrible and how terrible sin is, then you would realise why a place like hell was required. Our eyes are closed, but Lord, open them, that we might see all you've done and appreciate it. So let's have those elements handed out, and in a minute we will partake of them.
We're going to take a moment now and contemplate um, our own sin. In coming before the Lord, we know that we're we know that we don't deserve his love and his mercy. But we hold in our hands um, elements that remind us of his mercy. So what can you say? When you stand before someone and you know you're guilty, but you know that they're merciful, what can you say in that type of a situation? Well, you would say, Lord, I'm so sorry. And you'd say, thank you. You'd say all those types of things. And there may be sin in your life that you know is there, and you'd say, Lord, help me with that. So do that right now. Take a minute. Tell the Lord how sorry you are. Ask him for help. And thank him. Lord, we, we're before your presence this morning by faith. We're with you. And we are sorry for our sin, Lord. Each of us, a sinner. And we lay at your feet afresh this morning, Lord, the sin, each of our own, but also, Lord, the sin of the church, the sin of the people collectively. And I thank you, Lord, that Lord, it was us who deserved to die, but instead it was you who died. Thank you, Lord, you carried the weight of the world upon your shoulders. We're grateful for that this morning. And Lord, you said in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us. Lord, purify the hearts of your people. Lord, not that they are just forgiven alone, but Lord, that we might be overcomers we might be changed, we might hate these things that sent you to the cross, and we might love what you love. Lord, change us. Purify our hearts, we pray. Lord, you promised. Do that work in us today. And Lord, I ask that as we partake of the elements, that grace would be at work in each and every life. Lord, knit our hearts together with the body of Christ. May our love for each other grow. May our love for the Saviour grow. May our love for righteousness increase. Lord, may we be the people of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us eat, eat and drink together. Well, we'll have those cups collected and in just a second we're going to sing a closing song. So I encourage you to take up the things in prayer.
that we have contemplated this morning. Make it a matter of your own prayer life. And um, before we sing that last song, I just need to share with you a few quick announcements. On um, Easter Sunday morning, we will be meeting at the Rockhampton Baptist Church, not here. (laughs) So make sure you don't forget that. And if you're going, could I ask you to take something for morning tea? so that we all have something to share with each other. So if you don't have time to bake, that's fine. You can slip by your local bakery, Woolworths, or something similar. But it'd be great if we could all bring something um, because the morning tea and the fellowship after that service on Sunday is just as much an important part of the Easter Sunday celebration that we will have. One other announcement, Pastor Bob, sitting over here, has got his has been given some beds and they're going to load them into a shipping container to send them to Zambia in Africa. And he needs help on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. Tuesday, I think. Yeah, so it'd be great if we could have two or three or four young men, or you don't have to be young, but, you know, able to help lift things. And um, so it'd be great if you could just talk to Pastor Bob right after the service and, and volunteer your help so we can get that container loaded and send some stuff to Zambia. Anyway, the Lord bless you and be with you. May Good Friday be a good Friday to you. And keep thinking about the Lord. (laughs) Many blessings.